Hello, I am Angelina Pratt, your host of Empathetic Witness. So, uh, as we get into this podcast, let me just introduce you. Vic is my guest today, and he is inspirational like nobody's business. He is amazing, has breakthroughs for people all over the world, including myself. I've known Vic for many, many years, and um, I've had many breakthroughs in conversations with him casually and insights that just come on. And I say, ah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, so you're to have you on my podcast is an honor. And, mm. you know, before we Thank get you. into the further into the conversation, I just want to acknowledge our dear friend, Dr. Bastine, who passed mm. away mm. in May. She mm. inspired me so much as well. She was the first person that introduced me to Landmark. Mm. And when I went to that Landmark forum, Actually, I went to a communications course, and then I did the form. I had a major breakthrough with my mom that served me until her death. So that's the mm-hmm. kind of work you do, transformational, mm-hmm. inspirational. And I am so excited. I mean, my daughter and I have a little bit of a joke. She, You know, sometimes I'm on these courses, and I'll, I'll say, I'm on, my cor- I'm on a course right now. She goes, oh, is it the cult course? <laughs> it's the first cult course that wants you to, to be a better person. You know, they encourage you to be a better person. So, yes, I'm on that cult, cult course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lucky for her. Yeah, Yeah, it is good for her because, I mean, I'm yeah. who I am because I'm open to the teachings and the courses that are presented through Unstoppable Conversation. In fact, you know, the um, leadership course was really instrumental in me creating this podcast. It was after Mm. doing the um, one of the leadership course that I created the podcast. And I'm Mm -hmm. in my second year. I changed Mm. the conversation this year, but I'm so excited to be on this journey and I credit, you know, the insights from Unstoppable. So Mm. before we get into it, I'd like our audience to know a little bit about you. Um, I Mm. know you're just in Indian country. We would call you a big (laughs) shot, a big way. (laughs) A big shot. (laughs) You know, you're this big shot I'm talking to, you know, Uh (laughs) Unstoppable (laughs) co-founder. Yeah, yeah. And today good. is, today is um, you know, June 21st, the longest day of the year, and it's quite significant for Indigenous peoples. I'm Indigenous. I'm Dennis Lucenay from Northern Alberta, Saskatchewan. So, you know, June 21st is for ceremony, for acknowledgement of the sun, for the acknowledgement of our lands. It's really important. You know, we... Mm. We don't see our sun and moon as as animate objects. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like they mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. spirit, they are real. And that's how we communicate with them. Mm-hmm. So that's important just to 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 set the context to how we're going to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. And and I just want you to know my conversations are about an hour, 15 minutes to the time that we conclude. I will ask you, you know, questions that will shouldn't take too long, you know, so I'll let you know mm-hmm. 15 minutes when we're almost done, say, okay, we're almost done this. So I'll mm-hmm. ask you a couple of questions to end the show properly. Mm-hmm. Just Sounds so good. you have an idea of timing. I know you're very busy because you're a big shot. <laughs> That's right. Hey, watch out. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my first question to you mm-hmm. is, you know, I'm trying to think of a question if I didn't know you at all, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know who you mm-hmm. are. I have no mm-hmm. information about you. So the question to you is, when you were a little boy, little boy Vic, probably around six or seven, what mm-hmm. did you want to be in the world before you had constraints laid on you? When you were free to just imagine the world and you could be Anything in the world, what did you want to be? Hmm. Well, that's a great question. Um, well, it's the, the question's funny. You know, it's a funny question. This question, what did you want to be? I've, uh, I've, I've worked, I've actually worked with my kids on this exact question. Mm-hmm. And I, because I think what, when that question gets asked, the intention is, Actually, what do you, what did you want to do when you grow up? But if, because I've looked at this question before, what did you want to be? Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to answer it a funny way, Angelina. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be anything other than who I was. Ah, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, as it, <laughs> And I'd say that's so probably for most children, there's no, I at least, and I, you know, and I've, you know, just had the fortune of working with many kids, including my own two boys when they're little. I'd say the same is true for me when I was little. I didn't, I didn't need to be anything else than who I was. I didn't want to be anything else. So I, I, if I look back, the authentic answer is I didn't want to be anything other than, uh, I had no, no, interest in getting anywhere like where i am is not enough and i one day will blah 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 so i guess it's a funny answer i mean it sounds like sounds almost like a lazy answer but it's i didn't want to be anything i just i i loved my life and who i was i was born in guyana south america so it was Six years old, I was still in Guyana before we left for Canada. And, uh, yeah, so I didn't want to, I was content with who I was. So I didn't want to be anything other than that. Yeah. Okay. You know, I get it. I get that. And, you know, yeah. and usually around six years old, you you don't really know. I know for myself, when I was younger, I wanted to be a doctor. I remember mm. I even got a little doctor's kit. And so I would. <laughs> I played doctor, but <laughs> without a kid. 
And when I was yeah. older, I'd tell girls, you know, when I was 22, 23, I'm a doctor. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, I would have, because um, uh, I was in residential school. And so as I was in residential school, I had this little doctor's kit and, and I would bandage up the other girls and I'd check their temperature and I'd do all that. Oh, that's so great. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but then when I got older, I realized. I couldn't stand the sight of blood or anything. If people puked or were sick, if they hurt their finger, I was so, I could feel their pain so deeply that mm. I knew this wasn't something that I wanted to do full time because I couldn't stand it. Like if somebody had to bang their finger, I could not stand the pain and mm -hmm. they were going through. So I gave that mm. up quickly. It, after I got mm -hmm. older, so it wasn't there. There ended your medical career. Yes, exactly. With short lived. <laughs> and then, you know, it's funny. I, I always, you know, in a way, I look not just six, but probably all the way up till twenty-two. I never knew what I wanted to do, right? And I, it's, I always found it fascinating. You know, like even you at six, although you, you know, you gave it up at some point, mm -hmm. that you even had an idea pretty solid my what my oldest son is like that he knows he wants to be in computers and program and but man i always found it fascinating kids who actually had a had a line of sight as to what they want to do i found it that i never had an idea of what, what i wanted to do when i grew up never yeah. <laughs> well it's interesting <laughs> because you know the type of work you do the you know changing shifting the paradigm of people's belief systems how would you answer that, you know, like, so then you got older mm -hmm. and then you studied genetics, you have a master's in, in genetics, mm -hmm. so that at some point you discovered that you wanted to do, learn something, right? You wanted to learn mm -hmm. something more and you pursued that. Mm -hmm. And of course, then it shifted. Right now, you do mm -hmm. transformational mm -hmm. work, and mm -hmm. it has nothing to do with genetics. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Literally, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite interesting. Genetics is kind of a realm of, you could say, of the fixed. Mm. You know, you got you know you got forty six chromosomes, and you get half from mommy, half from daddy, and it's fixed. Like that's a fixed thing, and you either got this gene or you don't got that gene. So genetics is a world of like what you inherited literally is fixed. <clears throat> I can see the peril. Now what I do is not fixed. You're not fixed. Yeah. The aspect of the human that's not fixed, that's malleable. But it's interesting. It's still inherited, but you don't inherit genes in the in the work. That, in genetics, you inherit genes. In my work, you inherit patterns of thinking. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it's a strange, it's a strange parallel that I'm still working, working in the field of inheritance. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. I'd like to see that as, as you know, synchronicity or you know, like yeah, yeah, Mel's, you know, for sure, for sure, and particularly, you know, in you know my awesome work in with Aboriginal peoples around Canada. Um, I mean, there is a seriously inherited conversation mm. that 
is uh, generations old. That all, although nobody, you know, the young who's around now, kids, you know, they were not in the residential school experience. Yeah. Kids being born now, but they nonetheless inherit the pattern of thinking uh, of those that raised them that were in it, or those that raised them that raised them. Yes. And it's mind blowing the perpetuating the how that follows not just all people that you don't have to be in a residential school you can be anybody yeah but particularly in in that community as you well know unless that conversation is interrupted mm-hmm. it will be inherited a kind of a sense of a sense of worthlessness a sense of having no say mm. having a sense of being dominated yeah. You know, like that is to, to be straight about it. That is a lot of what gets inherited. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, as a probably one of the last Indigenous people in residential school, I can mm-hmm. say, you know, I never really knew the depth of the trauma that the students around me were experiencing. And even my own siblings, I had no idea until my brother's death a couple of years ago that he felt not good enough. Mm. You know, that he felt, and he was educated. He worked in, in the area of oil and gas in the accounting. Like he mm. was, and then as he got older, he was an elder. So he was respected in that regard. But when it mm-hmm. came to him and non-Indigenous people, he thought mm-hmm. he was inferior and mm-hmm. wasn't good enough until mm-hmm. he passed. That's how he felt. He was not good enough. Mm-hmm. And I never mm-hmm. knew that until, you know, I was searching him up after he had passed. And I came across mm-hmm. a number of um, presentations that he gave. And I thought, oh, my God. It just hurt me mm. so much to feel mm. his pain of mm. not being good enough when I thought mm-hmm. he was more than good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it really, really hurt me that I didn't know that. Perhaps I wasn't listening to him when he spoke. I didn't really get that mm-hmm. part of him just was not feeling good enough, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it's yeah, and you know, you may know that I'm I'm a writer, I'm a blogger. So I, I mm-hmm. sometimes I'm blogging about things that upset people. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, and I've done. I just uploaded a blog recently about medicine men, and whether mm. or not it is true, right? Because in Indian country, mm. most mm. people will. It's like blasphemy if you say. You challenge the norm. Yeah, question whether or not it's true or not. And in the blog, I was careful because I know it's sensitive. So I don't say whether it's true or not. But I talk about my experience with it. And, you know, when I first got married, my husband had had a vasectomy before. But when we got married, he thought, yeah, I'd like to have children, you know. So Mm -hmm. he had Mm -hmm. it reversed. And mm-hmm. we knew somebody that had it reverse never could have children, like his wife could never conceive. So mm-hmm. I went to see a Navajo medicine man in uh, mm-hmm. uh, Farmington, New Mexico. Mm. And, you know, it was really good. Um, I mean, 
it was really a nice ceremony and I felt really good about it, but I didn't know if it was going to be real or not. And yeah. in fact, the medicine man, I said, do you have to believe that this is going to work? And he said, no, you don't have to believe. It's either going to work or it's not. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's no <laughs> belief entering into it. Let's yeah. try it and see if it's, what's going to happen. So it yeah. took five years before I conceived my son. And mm. um, after he was conceived, I think what, two or three years after we decided we weren't going to have any more children. So my husband got a, got a vasectomy again. This time his doctor said, this is it. You can't be going and doing it and yes. doing it again. This is it. Too much scarring. Yeah. But yeah. so, you know, like when you challenge someone's belief that is tied to our tradition, it's yeah. difficult. You know, so yeah, I just put the question out, is it real? Is it, you know, like I know in Indian country, we talk about bad medicine. And I don't know, I mean, you've worked with a lot of Indigenous people. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. come across the term. Mm -hmm. But people have yep. felt that, you know, they've had bad medicine done to them. Yeah. And, and then things will happen and they'll attribute it to yeah. Oh, yeah that person put bad medicine on me and so therefore you know yeah. i fell down and broke my arm or yeah car yeah. accident whatever all these bad things occurred and so yeah. i invite people to think well if you're believing something bad has occurred are you giving it power to occur mm. so is the medicine within you? So it's actually you that is making this happen. It's like almost having a, you know, where people feel, you know, when you're looking for evidence that something is bad, you'll yeah. find it. Because when you're seeking it, you're going to find it because you're looking for it, right? <laughs> so, yes, yes. So, very, very straightforward. Yep. Yeah. So I think that's how I feel about medicine. I think that because... Mm. In my life, a lot of things have happened to me, um, but I, I don't attribute any of it to bad medicine. It's mm -hmm. either I was careless, um, mm -hmm. it was something that just happened. Like I had, I had this tumor in my heart, and, mm. and I had to have surgery to have it removed. It was five centimeters big. Wow. It was huge. Wow. And it was yeah. in my heart. <laughs> wow. When I was talking to my cardiologist, he says, you know, you got this huge thing you have to have taken out tomorrow. I said, well, it doesn't surprise me. And he says, what are you talking about? He says, there's nothing you, it's nothing you did that created it. I said, no, it doesn't surprise me because I have such a big heart and I'm so compassionate. My heart just wanted to duplicate itself and just grow larger. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. you know, nothing caused it. And I don't think, okay, then somebody put bad medicine on me. And then therefore I had this, this bad thing happen. So I think in Indian country, we need to look at, for me, it's taking responsibility 
So I look at taking responsibility for whatever occurs for me, whether it is, I know there's belief systems and, and I'll sometimes get caught into that belief, you know, and, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and think, oh, well, it's because I'm this and therefore Mm -hmm. this occurred. But really, when you get rid of that belief, it's like, you know, if a tree falls down in the forest, is anybody Mm -hmm. hear it or did it really occur, Mm -hmm. right? If there's no Mm -hmm. evidence Mm -hmm. to it. So Mm -hmm. it's the same way Mm -hmm. with beliefs. Like, Mm -hmm. I believe Mm -hmm. in something. If I didn't have that belief, would it still have occurred? Well, I, I would I would offer the word. I mean, the belief beliefs beliefs is a valid way to talk about people are about things, their relationship to things. Uh, uh, you know, it's very powerful what you're pointing to. I, I would say that there's a there's a kind of a more plain Jane way of saying it. people people live in a superstition. And that superstition is called because. Ah, got it. And uh, for the most part, people don't examine because as a superstition itself. Yes. Whatever is on the other side of because Mm -hmm. is for granted that whatever's on the other side of because caused came before because yeah yeah and it's never really that examined it's like well duh you yelled at me i i'm angry because you yelled at me duh see there's you yelling angry mm-hmm. close enough together because that's not a superstition vic that's self-evident like the sun rising on the setting, obvious. Telling yes. it me made me angry. I'm angry because, but as much as the sun rises and the sun sets, the sun doesn't really rise. And the sun doesn't really set. It yeah. rotates. Yes. But man, you, you try and convince somebody of the earth rotating, they'll swear up and down that thing rises and sets. You mm. can't call them off of that. It's so, it's so obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Just what you're saying is very powerful. I I would I add to it, and I'm as a as a scientist, recovering scientist. Okay, you know, science is the granddaddy of becauses. This happens because of that. We take apart nature, compartmentalize it, remove it from its natural setting, learn some stuff about it, and then we figure if we do that, that's easier. Then we put it all back together. We have a bunch of becauses after our examination. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Those those are fairly great working hypotheses. But the truth of the matter is every 50 years, every because we came up with is wrong 50 years later. Yeah. There's a new because. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. So the, pro- the problem isn't becauses. The problem is that we actually turn becauses into the truth. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. I know in my conversations with Betty... Um, she would often, like, she always held me accountable to something. So we'd be having a conversation about something and she'd say, why? 
And I'll say, well, because this, and she'll go, why? Why because this? And then I'll answer her and she'll say, (laughs) why? Wow. <laughs> How annoying. <laughs> yeah. So she would and she'd do it with real straight face and real yeah. areas. Like why? Okay, ask yeah. why. You know, like yeah. why is it? Yeah. Why do you think that? You know? And so we would go on until yeah. we've exhausted all the whys and there's nothing left but possibility. So good. Yeah. So great, Angelina. Why? Well, because my mom yelled at me. And why did your mom yell at you? Well, because she's uh, her mom yelled at her. Well, why did her mom yell at her yelling at her? Well, I don't know. It's all, it's all a game. It's all like, who knows? Yeah. Why, why, why is the most addicting? Not that useful question, but it's addictive. Yeah. It's so addictive. Like, like there's actually an answer. You know, and and by the way, kids, kids, when they're little, they don't live a because or a why life. I mean, they might ask a lot of questions, but they exist and they do things for no reason. And then they get indoctrinated into because of, you know, my little guy, Aaron, when he was four, I came around the corner. He's doing, he's crayoning the wall and and the crayon does not come out. (laughs) It's something horribly evil about crayon right it does not come out so I'm, I, I, my eyes pop i come around the corner i'm like aaron and my because i'm i live in the superstition because i my first words out of my mouth are why are you doing that mm-hmm. now that's a useful question but i'm addicted to that question i'm a human being and then i watch aaron struggle with the question mm-hmm. he's still free to just be he doesn't have to be because. Don't worry, I'm going to ruin his life in this interaction. I say, he goes, uh, I, I don't know. Not good enough for me. Got to have a reason for existing. Pop it up. And I'm like, no, no, tell me why. I, I don't know. Literally doesn't know. He just exists. Yeah. Not because. Yeah. And then I keep hounding him, hounding him, and finally the poor guy goes, because, because I want to? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we yes. found our culprit. Jail him, jail him, right? I said, exactly, Aaron. Yeah, exactly. You didn't think in the uh, blah, 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 like a, you know, like a typical parent. And now this kid actually is starting to get indoctrinated into to be a reason for his actions he can't just be yes he's got to explain it all to everybody he's got to explain it to himself yeah it starts to it starts to destroy his freedom like every human being they've always got to do something because you can't just do something you gotta have a reason yeah and the mind can't even comprehend that what are you talking about what do you mean of course you have to have a reason who is this guy on the podcast Everything must be for a reason. You can't just exist. Some statement. <laughs> yeah, we'll go talk to a three-year-old. That's the freest anybody's ever been at three without any because. Yeah. How great. Like, that is so huge. Like, to be, just to be, without a reason to be, is powerful. But then people meet each other. 
they, 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 they get all kind of weird with each other because they, they think they need to be a certain way with mm. each other because. Yeah. 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 And fill in the because. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's infinite. Like there's always a because. Because I, you know, my reputation, because I want to be well thought of, because it's polite, because it's the right thing to do, because it's what's expected. I can't just be myself. I've got to be always thinking and strategizing and blah, blah, blah about how I need to be because mm. the irony is it stopped, it, it kind of robs me of a certain kind of authenticity. Because it's always kind of in order to achieve some aim, uh, you know. And I'm not saying live frivolously and do whatever the heck you want and murder people. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm saying <laughs> that's not all what I'm saying. But I'm saying there's a kind of a freedom lost to just be. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Like I, you know, like before I go into a podcast, I often, you know, I don't give pre-questions to the guests and you know it, it has some good sides it prepares somebody to think thoughtfully but I've always wanted to just ask the question yeah. and so that you get an authentic response so it's not rehearsed to look good yeah, yeah, sound good yeah. you know so you just okay I'll just answer the question just right now you know so you have yeah, time yeah. to prepare you know you're you're it's great Great. Yeah. So you get to be Vic right in this moment, however yeah. that shows up. Um, yeah. So or I get to not be Vic, or I get to be like, oh boy, I wonder what the right answer is, and and yeah. start to think of looking good, and or I get to do that too. But whatever yeah. it is, it's someone's humanity on display. Yeah. Yeah. One way or the other, authentic or inauthentic, but no kid, no kid lives from yeah. Exactly. No, no kindergarten student prepare. You know, yeah. if you, that's the that's the inauthenticity of being an adult. Like if I go to a kindergarten class and I ask a question, I don't get through the sentence, and everybody in that class has got their hand up to answer. Some people have two hands up. You know, the five years old they got two hands up. They don't even know what the what the heck I'm going to end up saying. But they're so free to be in life, they're not mm -hmm. worried about their self expression and getting it right. And then I go to a bunch of adults. And I ask the question 20 times over and say it nicely and then safely and blah, blah, blah. And then if I'm lucky, one hand shoots up because everybody else is worried about getting it wrong and being judged. Yeah. This whole, yeah. This whole preparation business has got people by the throat. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's so, I mean, when you look at life, I mean, I mean, I think your example of raising your hand to say something. I remember when I was in university. I would never raise my hand to speak, even if I knew the answer. Like, it wasn't about looking good or saying the right answer or looking smart. It was because when I raised my hand to speak, my face would get beat red. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so I, and I knew that because when I was in school, when I would answer a question, my face would get beat red and people would say, oh, look at that person. How, how does she get so red? Or look at that. Look at how red can you get? Like, can you get redder than yeah. that? You know, <laughs> in front of me, right? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. So from that point, I never wanted to just put my hand up and and say what I needed to say because as soon as I started talking, or any time that I'm, you know, somebody, you know, points me out. I had a professor that in one of my classes, and he would, he would one of these old professors that he'd say, "Oh, Mr. Ranger, um, I noticed your hair is pink today." You know, because I always would color my hair a different color, and I had bright fuchsia pink hair that day. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I just look, everybody's looking at me, and of course, I'm the color of my hair. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so it's what you fear actually occurs. Yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> so it occurred for me in that moment what I was afraid of, you know, so that I became yeah. just this character of yeah. Uh, who I am. And um, anyway, so, but before like we get further in, I mean, I, we could just talk about the stuff, but I want to talk more about the leadership course in unstoppable because I found it so transformative. And I, I remember you came and facilitated a course when I was um, at Nietzsche Institute and we were trying yeah. to figure out what what it is we wanted to do in the institution, how we were going to yeah. be, behave. And you, you facilitated us to the point where we were able to identify a noble truth. And then it was from that noble truth that everything we did stemmed from. So anytime we were going to do something as the board, we would look at, what is the noble truth that we say we are? And does this align yeah. with it? Mm, mm, and yeah. I think that was so powerful until I resigned mm. from the institution. We fall back on that noble truth many, many times. Mm, mm. Um, so when you're, I know you've done work with people all over the world, you know, huge corporations, people from, Mm-hmm. different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. What is it that inspires you to do transformational work, to show up for others in different countries? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what inspires me is uh, working with, you know, people in general inspire me. There's no no person that I don't, I don't have the experience of not loving people. I love people. But what inspires me particularly is the type of person that is really has a, a dream, a vision, a vision of, of a world working, like that part of the world working or the organization working. <clears throat> that's, that is a kind of an outrageous vision. Like it's not a normal vision. It's not a, Mm. Uh, a, a slightly better version of what they have. There's some people that have quite outrageous visions. You know, they're that you could say they're the dreamers of the world, but they're not just pie in the sky dreamers. They really have an, another way. They they kind of another aspect about them. They're really willing. They're really willing to do something about their vision. They have a powerful commitment to do something, not just have a vision. Do something about it. And, um, 
and they're open. And I think the third thing is they're very open to being contributed to. Mm. They also have a third kind of dimension to their character. They have a vision. They're willing to do something about it. And they are humble enough to accept other people contributing to them. When I encounter that kind of person, uh, that, that inspires me. They inspire me. That kind of person inspires me. Because we can get some real work done in the realm of transformation, because transformation really is about, um, you know, it's this not, this is a strange definition of transformation. Transformation includes taking responsibility for the, my humanity, like this, we talk about inheritance, right? Yeah. You know, to take responsibility for something I wound up inheriting as a person, which is some sense of not good enough some sense of inadequacy or insufficiency, uh, taking responsibility for, for, you know, just all the nasty little aspects of being human where I am so that I can, so, so I can take, in taking that kind of ownership, I'm no longer um, above anybody. Mm. You know, I kind of all of a sudden have a compassion for the rest of the people because they're doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, there's not a human on the planet that's not busy trying to cut corners, pretend, lie, you know, get away with something, stay out of trouble, compare themselves constantly, you know, feel a little bit small, not enough, have some sense of not belonging, get defensive. I mean, go on and on. These, mm. As I say, each one of these little phrases, I'm indicting all humans, yeah. including yeah. the humans who don't think that's them. That's more of it. Arrogant, right? Mm-hmm. So arrogant, to be arrogant is also to be human. Okay. <laughs> that's not me. That's them. Mm. But, you know, what inspires me is people who are really open will thrive in a conversation like this one where they're given the opportunity to claim their inauthenticity rather than defend it. And something just happens in that moment. Somebody starts to claim what they've been pretending or denying or. I don't know, something happens in that pristine kind of humility, like a new possibility for being human opens up. Mm. And that, man, that's damn inspiring when somebody discovers a profound sense of responsibility, which then leaves them with a blank slate. And it's those who who refuse to be responsible for being human that are really trapped in their humanity. You can't transform what you're unwilling to own. Mm. Yes, exactly. And it and it has to be fundamentally different, so different. Like I've, you know, when Dr. Bestine passed away or even before she passed away, when she told me she was terminal, I decided through the foundation that I manage that I wanted to create a legacy course for her. Mm. And so I talked to her and drafted with another one of the curriculum writers this course because you know, with her teachings of 17 years, you know, at the University of Alberta and other colleges, Red Crow College and colleges in Alberta, I wanted to capture that teaching of her so that there's a legacy left and people can learn those teachings because they're so, you know, they say as an elder dies, with it dies the knowledge. Yes. And so yes. I didn't want that to happen to her. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I was lucky that her son, Peter, connected with mm-hmm. me. And I said, this mm-hmm. is what I'm doing for your mom. 
And he says, yes, I know, you know, and he said, I'm following in my mom's footsteps and he's going to be, I mean, he's in social, well, he's in education and he's doing a social work master's degree and he wants to do a, a PhD. So I said, this is the course I'm doing. Would you help me with it? And I said, and I want it to be like no other course that exists uh -huh. today. Like it has uh -huh. to be fundamentally totally different. It can't be the colonized version of a course or pan uh -huh. It has to be uh -huh. something totally inspirational and different. And that's what we're uh -huh. creating. So, no, we've had, so good. <laughs> we've had a number of meetings and that's what we're creating. But, you know, we start from let's make something that's outside. Distinct. Yeah, yeah. That's totally different because, you know, she was so unique and she had so yeah. many attributes and virtues that are so different. Like when you talk to her, like people were not ready to hear what she had to say. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> no, she rocked the boat. She rocked yes, the boat. She, yeah, like, she challenged people. She rocked the boat, uh, especially her own people in Treaty 7. You know, she was about yeah. re revitalizing the language. They resisted that. You know, yeah, she had yeah, so yeah. much resistance. But I want to, so we're doing that. So I hear what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And the courses you, you deliver through Unstoppable opens up the people's um, reality to first, what is running them, their belief system that creates mm -hmm. who they are, and mm -hmm. then breaking away from that and creating mm -hmm. something totally new. So you got to mm -hmm. get rid of something, all mm -hmm. of it maybe, you know, <laughs> and create something new. And, yeah. and that's transformation. Yeah, that's a good way to say it, Angelina. It's, uh, there's one way to say what you're saying is there's no, at a certain point in time, there's no more real space left in a human being. They're filled up. And, you know, they're filled up with what? They're filled up with their opinions, <laughs> their points of view, yeah. you know, all the conclusions they've drawn about who people are, who they're not, all their significant history. They're just filled up. And um, perfect how you said that. It's transformation or any transformation is another way to say transformation is creating. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, there's no creating when the canvas is not blank. Mm. Yeah. And it, creating is only possible in a space. Yeah. And then the question is, well, how do I create? Well, I have to have a space. Well, how do I get a space? Well, I've got to see what's in the space. Well, how do I see what's in the space? Well, that's our work. Our work is to see what's in the space that you don't even know is in the space. So that once you see it, there and 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 own it own what's in the space all of a sudden there's a space now yeah yes yeah yeah you created the space yeah. yeah so i think i'm looking at the time i think yeah we still have a bit of time um yeah yeah and i just want to like is did we explain like if somebody is listening and hasn't done the work that we've done yeah. They're interested in taking control of their life. Does yeah. this get them inquiring? 
Yeah, that's that, that word right there is beautiful. Yeah, our our what's distinct about our work is it's not teaching. Yeah, that's like what? What do you mean? I why would I want to pay money? You're not going to teach me anything? That's right, because you pretty much know everything you need to know. In fact, the problem is not you need to know anymore. The problem is you need to lose some stuff you think is true. So you can't teach somebody in, you can't teach removal. <laughs> you yeah. can teach addition. You can yeah. teach stuff they add, but they know that's teaching, but teaching is not the right method for losing information. Yes. And th the word you said is inquiry. So, yeah, our work is the work of inquiry. And as one of my coaches said to me one time, Vic, you got to get something about the nature of inquiries. Inquiries are dangerous. Mm. He said, that's why over history, people banned inquiries. Don't ask too many questions. Most totalitarian states shut down questions. Why? Because questions are very, very dangerous. Yes. You ask enough questions. Like Betty hammered you with a couple wise. At some point, you stop. You start to say, "I don't know why we did." You know, like that. So our course is a course of inquiry, which is very dangerous. So our course is not for everybody. It's only for people who are willing to live a dangerous life. Yeah, a bunch yeah. of questions. Yeah. <laughs> no. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is so so correct, Vic. And it's <laughs> it's in that inquiry that you discover, like. I was in, like, I was studying at the uh, University of Warsaw in Poland, and I had gone to the um, Berlin Wall when it was there. And I remember, like, before we went to East Berlin, I, um, I had um, supper at one of the students' houses, I mean, apartments, and I remember, like, in Poland, they were really gentlemen, like, so they wouldn't let me just go back to my hotel by myself. They had to escort me back on the transit back to my hotel safely. But so as, great. <laughs> as we were going there, I noticed a bunch of military men in the on the street, each street, you know, like there's all these military people and sometimes we'd pass they'd have to show their papers and that and I said, "Why are they there?" And he mm. said, oh, for our protection. And that's where it stopped. Like, they didn't inquire as to why Poland mm. was full of military personnel. Like, who were they protecting them from? Right? No, that, now, don't get too dangerous there, Angelina. Know, okay, you're getting a little dangerous there. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and they didn't, you know, they just said, that's just, they're just there for our protection. And I left it at that because the next yeah, yeah. day, we had um, um, an excursion to a church in um, Gdansk, and it was just when the end of the Solidarity Movement. So we met in the church. And so in my mind, every time you meet in a church, it's really secretive. Like there's something dangerous about meeting <laughs> in the church. <laughs> and I don't know if it's my residential school stuff that's coming up. Uh, but I, right, right. I kind of liked it. I thought, oh, we're meeting in the basement of a church. And this is really scary yeah. and dangerous. But yeah, I, like yeah. 
like it. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. It's so, I mean, we as humans are really, you know, we're, we're in a context of, of a reality that we made for ourselves, And sometimes it's strains us. So we can't get outside of it. Even when we're pointed to it until we have serious inquiry and discover it for ourselves. Like I can't tell you. Yeah. Great. What it said. It's a one way I would say what you said is a we call we called it in our work a shared agreement. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. when people when people wind up sharing and getting themselves into some kind of agreement, the nature of being human is to take the weight of agreement. The agreement after a while gets a certain weight to it, mm-hmm. and if you're not careful, the weight of the what's agreed upon seems like it's real and true rather than a shared agreement which tends to have a kind of weightiness and then people live the agreement out of as if it's true like the earth is flat yeah what do you mean what do you mean it's not that's that's an agreement we all share the agreement yeah or military people on the road is normal yeah they've got to protect us we all agree yeah we agree so it's got to be true yeah yeah the agreement. Don't yeah. you challenge the agreement? What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, stay with the agreement. <laughs> I know that's too great, too great. Um, so, I mean, just be. I think we've got less than ten minutes. Yeah, less than 10. yeah, around that. Yeah, yeah. ten yeah. minutes or so. Um, so, before we wrap up, what I often ask my guests is what is the legacy you are leaving behind? Well, that's, that's an easy answer for me. Okay. Uh, it's not, it's, let me say that. That's a simple answer. It's a simple answer for me that is, that is worth my life's work to achieve. But the simple answer is uh, the legacy I leave behind is that the world works. Mm, mm. Now, I'm not saying that in an arrogant way, like by the time I'm dead, hey, the, the world will work. But to the extent that I'm alive and I've got blood coursing through my veins, the my purpose is to have the world work for everyone with no one and nothing left out, even the bad ones. Yeah. Imagine <laughs> the that. so-called bad ones. The, yeah. Even the other, even yeah. the other, whoever the other is for everybody. We've like got, Trump, <laughs> like Trump, yeah, absolutely, and that's like there. There's a boat rocking statement right there. What do you mean? You're like, well, I am not going to have the world work for that person. It's mm. only going to work for the good ones. Yes. Well, it's only going to work for the good ones. Is is already a paradigm on the planet, and it's only going to work for the right people. Is why the world doesn't work. Yes. May just may be having a paradigm called the world works for everyone mm. is a paradigm or an idea whose time has come. So my legacy would be to the extent I accomplish a company, a group, Nietzsche, one person that sees the possibility of a life where the other, creating a life where the other can exist. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe may that would be worth dedicating my life to. 
So that would be a, you know, whatever to some extent I've accomplished and, you know, who knows what, by the time I croak, whatever else I've accomplished will be in service of that. So that'd right. be the legacy. Wow. No, perfect. That is so good. Like, I mean, when I was in residential school and in, in your course, you also say show, you know, there's us and them, others. Yeah. In residential school, we call the people that weren't in residential school extras. Extras. Yeah. Huh. I haven't yeah. heard that. Yeah. Say more so, about that. Well, yeah. yeah. Like, so they were extras. They weren't part of residential school uh, students. They were extras. They were out there, you know? Is that interesting? Wow. I often. That is. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I guess now after knowing what happened in residential school, they were the chosen ones. Like, you know, they were the ones that didn't get the trauma that we got in residential school because they were extras. Yeah. They were out there, not part of our world in residential school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you say extras, you mean like extras, like white kids? Other, yeah, white kids, yeah. They were not yeah. Aboriginal. Yeah. They were white children. Métis were extras. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so they were the non-Aboriginal people. They were extra. Wow, isn't that something, eh? Yeah. And I don't know how many people remember that, but because I haven't talked yeah. to many uh, former residential school students either, yeah. and talk about the language, yeah. right? I'm always interested in language and how we how we cat categorize things, you know? Yes, so yes. I yes. often thought extra was interesting because, I mean, yeah. you can see extra as better, right? Yes, yes. It can be extra seen peanut as, butter, please. Yeah, yes. Extra ketchup. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You can see it as better, <laughs> yeah, but you can also yeah. see it as extras. Like, I, I just ponder the word, and I wonder who came yeah. up with it, and I don't know when it started and how it started. And but look, what's so powerful about it is it became a shared agreement. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's something. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Yeah. So and just before we end, is um do you have three points of actionable item that you can offer people in relationships? It could be, you know, mother, daughter, husband, wife, sisters, cousins, but in yeah. a relationship with somebody that makes it workable. Uh, good question. Um, uh, nope, nope. Uh, so I probably, uh, no particular order, and these are not, uh, hey, one, two, three. Uh, but th this is great. This is, uh, you know, perfect on the spot question. I'll just tell you what, what I would say. Uh, one thing is I would say, ask yourself the question, what, um, What it, I'm just trying to how to word it. It's like going back to our previous conversation about like because or or people are always have a reason for something. One thing I would ask myself in a relationship with anybody is, what am I trying to get out of this relationship for myself? Like, what am I? Is it love? 
Is it a sense of belonging? Is it a sense of validation? What is it that I need from you? And it's a kind of nasty little question. And, uh, and let me let me ramp it up a bit. It's kind of like if you can get that you and I are related to people fundamentally because we want something from them, that you can get even a little bit worse. Like, what am I using this person for? Now, that's a nasty question. <laughs> but, hey, our work is nasty like that. And if you got the guts to inquire that question for a week, you'll see something about the inauthenticity of being human. And something will open up like, what if I could just be related to this person without using them for that? I wonder what difference that would make in my just freedom to be with them and their freedom to be with me for sure. That's the one thing. What am I getting out of this? You know, what do I need from that person? And the worst version of it is how am I you what am I using this person for? Right? That's one thing, one nasty little question. Um uh I think another question would be what when when I get pissed off, when that person pisses me off, because it lives like they pissed me off. Now they didn't do a damn thing. But in the culture of being human, humans always live like something's getting done to them. So in that kind of paradigm, if you piss me off, I'd ask myself the question. I'd, I'd take on that there's something incomplete for me that whenever you say X, my blood boils. What is it in my past that's unresolved that when you say X, I get pissed? That's a hell of a question to ask oneself. What's unresolved for me that I can't even hear those words without going bananas? But then I blame you for what I can't hear. <laughs> so that's a nasty another question. And uh, let me think, a third one. Um, a third... Uh, da, da, da. just make it up uh, those are two good ones for now angelina uh, if i if i kind of think a little bit harder uh i'll come up with something but oh yeah here's one okay um what have i been unwilling to tell you in other words i keep suppressing myself about something i'm unwilling to tell you and blame you for what i'm not telling you i expect you to know x what are certain expectations I have of you, but I'm not willing to be explicit about? What am I unwilling to tell you? Then I blame you for my own suppression. Okay. So those are three nasty little inquiries, which yeah. is, you know, probably should scare everybody off from doing our course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I was having a, a discussion with my husband uh, recently right. and trying to you know, because I'm always on his case about being healthy and eating healthy and having all that. And so he was, he says, you know, I don't want to hear any of that. And I said, yeah, I know. You just want me to agree with you. You can have that piece of cake. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you <been> sneaky? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, totally sneaky. Oh, my goodness. So, I mean, it's. You know, we, 
we get upset with somebody when they're not telling us what we want them to tell us. Totally. Look, I tell you right now, I was on with two of my coaches this morning. I know we only got a minute. And I said, I, one of them said, hey, I want you to use this system that has integrity and manage your calendar. And I went, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just nodded. And I didn't do it. For like two weeks, I didn't do, I just nodded. And today they said, well, what? You didn't use it. Well, did you, did you agree with, did you tell Michelle you would? I said, no, I kind of just nodded. Yeah. They said, you just nodded. So you don't have to explicitly say yes. And you're on the hook or say no and deal with the consequences of saying no. You're slimy like that, Vic. You just nod. So you live in this gray zone so you can get away with what you want. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how we are as humans. <laughs> We'll get away with whatever we can. <laughs> yes. I got, and I got to jump, Angelina. I got to call yeah. right now. I know. And I was, yeah, yeah. We wanted, I wanted to end. And I want to say, I really appreciate this conversation. I've wanted to have it for a while because I totally love the work you do. I love the inquiry. I love the discovery that I have when I'm taking the course. And I want to just end with saying that this Recording is being done on unceded Algonquin territory. I always like to acknowledge that they're allowing me to live on their territory, work on their territory, and it's good to give them a shout out. But my listeners, and I think they'll really enjoy, you know, this conversation we've had and hopefully take the next course that's coming up. When is the next course coming out for the leadership? It's on the website. It's in September. I can't remember the exact date. Yeah. Okay. So I'll put yeah. the link of the website on the show notes. And so if anybody listening is interested, they can register and it'd be the best decision they've made for their life. It's, you know, mm. forget being afraid, forget being not good enough. Just do it. Mm. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thanks for that, Angela. Yeah. All right. Thank you. And uh, all, right. all the best. You're very welcome. All right. All right. Thanks for having me. All okay. right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.